Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Later in this episode, we're going to talk about what information should go in an employee handbook and how you can use that content to help with your recruiting process. Um, But first, we're going to give some quick updates. So hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. Cool. What's up this week, Rick? Well, I wrapped up a consulting project, Deliverable. Um, You may recall I I have a client in San Francisco who I've been doing... uh, a project for basically building out a referral program for a specific uh, uh, niche of consultant partners in the nonprofit space. Uh, wrapped, I, I wrapped that up yesterday. I've got one more email to send tonight after we get off this conversation, and it's done. And it's a, one of those cool things when you're a consult when you're doing some consulting. Generally, uh, what you do one model for this is you have some sort of assessment that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lets you get in the door, you know, you know and get paid, um, as a consultant, but also it's kind of low time commitment and outputs a, some sort of a assessment or feasibility, um, you know, <clears throat> a feasibility guide for, you know, a, a larger project. And so that's mm-hmm. happened the, you know, and there's an opportunity to continue, the project um, as part of like a phase two. So trying to decide how that might look and whether or not I actually want to continue doing it. Um, I'm so, I, I, I was a sprint to get the project done. So I'm, I'm at this point where I'm like, Oh, I'm tired. I just need to like, before I make a decision, I need to sleep and, and, uh, yeah. and get my head clear. But um, it was a really fun project to work on that. I think the clients, uh, at least they're telling me they're, they're happy. And uh, you know, the question is what's next. Yeah. So, how, I mean, it's either do that or take on different consulting gigs or put more time into whatever, starting a new thing or something like that. How, how do you weigh all of that? It's 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 a great question. So it's making me think. What I guess there's a couple of things. One, generally a phase two consulting project. I've done a, several phase one projects this year and phase two projects are much longer in scope usually. So it's a longer commitment than uh, 45 days or the past projects I've done. So that's one factor. Do I go get a, mm-hmm. another phase one 45 day project and then let them, uh, you know, do the execution uh, or do mm-hmm. I do the execution and hand off later? And so I guess one is the type of work is different. So if I went and did another consulting project, it'd probably be another more strategic planning project versus, okay, here's the plan. Now go execute it. Do you think like there's a a type of muscle you want to exercise here? Like if you're only getting the strategic side of things, would it be valuable to you to get a little more execution practice? Yeah, that's, that's exactly the consideration, right? It's, it's, it's far less interesting from a problem standpoint to do the execution in this particular case, because one, most of the execution is very repetitive work I've done in the past. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it, like the return on time investment in terms of learnings is, is has a steep drop after the uh, strategy phase. So like it, yeah. maybe one month, it would be interesting to, you know, get the, approve the, the plan. But then after that, it becomes repetitive and, you know, less, less uh, interesting. Right. Less interesting, but I mean, you're, you're at a phase in your career right now where you 
previously were the CEO of a decent sized company such that you were probably doing mostly strategy stuff, but now you're going into mode where, you know, you need to, whatever you kind of end up sinking your teeth into, there's going to be a lot of execution and just grinding it out. Do you think it'd be nice to like practice that a little I've bit? I've got plenty of practice on execution. Um, and I, I know well, you have in the past. Well, here's, here's the thing. Like I would rather, if I'm, I think where I am is I'd rather flex my execution muscle on my own ventures because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it takes a lot of energy, right? Like it's, 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 it's the brute force entrepreneurial work where you just are, gr- it's the grinding work, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so the question, like the, the upside of, of, of continuing with a phase two type project is stability, like guarantee you know, income, um, mm-hmm. simplicity, less, less brain, you know, use, but significant, um, it, it's, it's definitely not as, uh, it, it's it's not as uh it's going to take a lot of energy emotional energy to execute the project because you you become responsible for an outcome um mm. and that can take a toll where i'd rather put that energy into executing on one of my own ventures potentially the other opportunity you asked what the opportunity cost was and i'll i'll wrap up with this the other thing i'm thinking about is instead of consulting's been fun i'm learning a lot um but every time i go in i i get i it gives me this this kind of excitement to start something that's software based. So the <laughs> yeah, other alternative yeah. is to spend the consulting time re- rolling out another venture that's a software application of some kind. Yeah, th- this is something I, I haven't done nearly as much like consulting or freelancing as you have, but something that always frustrated me about it. I think both of us are this way that when you work on something, you you want to think of it as like planting a seed for a really long-term thing. But if you're not a part of that long-term outcome, it's it's hard to get really excited about it. So yeah, I, I see where you're coming from there. Exactly, exactly. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it's it was, I'm really grateful to the client for the opportunity, and I, I, I'm 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 grateful that I have the, you know, the the choice, uh, poten- the mm-hmm. potential choice of continuing under some arrangement. So it's a good it's a good place to be. Um, I'm jealous of you because you get to spend your time on one company that's past the point of this, the figure, <laughs> the figure it out stage. And, uh, so what's, what, yeah. yeah, what's going on with you? Well, there, there's grass is always greener, right? I, I love where I'm at, but you know, there's an excitement to starting something new too, but, uh, yeah. So what's new with me, um, the, the summer's kind of winding down. I mean, I realize, um, a lot of people are going on vacation and stuff right now, but my summer is kind of defined by when we have interns here. So uh, a lot of our interns and at the coding fellowship, the thing where we teach people how to code for the summer, uh, half of them are leaving at the end of this week and the other half are leaving at the end of next week. So um, a lot of my time during the summer months goes towards mentorship and meetings and all that kind of stuff. And then once they leave, it, uh, obviously it's sad to lose them, but a lot more of my time is freed up. So I'm, I'm starting to see like, oh man, I'm going to be able to really get a lot of other stuff done. Um, so that's exciting to think about. And in particular, one of the things we're going to be, I'm going to be working on uh, soon. So the coding fellowship did their final presentation this week, which is some people who come in four people this summer who had never coded before. We teach them how to code and then they give a presentation to like various members of the community, some heads of nonprofits and things like that. Uh, so now we need to start going out and recruiting for next year. So trying to figure out what channels are we going to do to uh, go through to find interns, coding fellows, and we have one full-time hire coming up. That's exciting. Yeah. I, how many I of, like hiring after we've done it. Yeah. <laughs> how many of the coding fellows are going to like be potential future employees of less annoying CRM? 
yeah. So I'll say I think two. So there were four this summer. Two are really interested in going into tech. Um, the, the goal is not like we only hire one or two people a year anyway. So the goal is definitely not to hire all of them. But so one's probably going into medicine, like she's pre-med and one's uh, more interested in it could be political activism or she, her project this summer was actually starting a literary magazine. So uh, she's going to apply the skills, but probably not like work in tech is, is not her goal as far as I understand it. So two of them are probably interested in becoming like software engineers after this. Very cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, always trying to, fi- it, it's amazingly difficult to figure out, to find uh, people to apply for this because it's a good deal. We pay above minimum wage. We, they get the same experience as an internship and they, they had a code. Um, what, what do you but guys no one's get out of interested. What, what do you guys get out of it? Uh, it is potentially a recruiting channel. I mean, the vast majority of people who go through, we won't recruit, but it's partially, it, it, uh, the program is for people from underrepresented groups in tech. So it's a way to kind of expand our, our reach to recruit people from groups that otherwise weren't really applying for our jobs. Um, so it's kind of a diversity recruiting thing. And then also, uh, it's just kind of a giving back type of thing. When we moved to St. Louis, we were always looking for opportunities to participate in the surrounding community. And this is one way we're doing that. Uh, so you look at it more as a, a, a donation or a contribution to the community than a, uh, than a, than a something you're going to return a, uh, an investment on. Yeah, I, I think it will return something, but certainly less than other investments we could make. But I don't know. I, this is maybe a little off topic, but people often talk about diversity like, oh, it's it's super profitable and all that. And maybe it is, but I kind of feel like it should be a goal even if it's not. And I think the conversation is kind of distorted by making it look like everything has to have this like ridiculously high ROI, you know? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Anything else? Uh, no, that's kind of my, uh, my big update. So maybe we can go into the deep dive. Um, so this week, uh, you know, each week we pick a topic to kind of spend, I don't know, 30 minutes or so on. So, uh, my topic this week is going to be, uh, employee handbooks. So this has been on my mind cause, um, we kind of redid our whole employee handbook this last spring leading up to hiring some new people. So I kind of rewrote it and put a lot of thought into it, but I, I wanted to just talk through it with you things like, you know, what should actually go into it. And one thing that I hadn't thought of prior to now is, when should when and how should the information employee handbook be communicated? Because what we used to do is uh, everybody would start working here and then we'd give them the employee handbook and say, read this. And more and more, I'm realizing a lot of this information might be relevant towards like, sh- will they accept the job? And so I'm thinking, should we start pushing this information to them earlier in the process? So anyway, like open ended, but I'm interested in your thoughts on how this should work. Yeah. So I guess uh, when I hear employee handbook, I my when I first had when I first heard employee handbook, I I I associate zero value to employees and 100% cover your ass uh, yeah. for the company. Um, I don't think that's what you're talking about here. So maybe you can right. Yeah. So like, what, what do you mean by employee handbook? Fair enough. So maybe there's a different term at the end of this. We'll have figured out for this. But what I mean is, um, over the years, we have amassed a lot of institutional knowledge on how like information, how we do things, our philosophy on things. Plus there are a lot of like policies and stuff like that. So it's, I've actually recently split it up into three things. One is company philosophy. One is information about uh, how compensation and benefits work. And then the third one is um, 
all of the various policies, like you want to take a vacation day, here's how you do it. You want to use the nap room, here's how you book it, that type of stuff. And where does the CYA cover your ass stuff fit in? Um, probably we do that less than a lot of companies would. Um, and then I, we do have like random stuff people sign when they start. That's like, you know, acknowledge that we're providing all of the benefits required by law and stuff like that. Um, so I I think we're covering our ass to some extent, but probably not as much as some companies do. Uh, so let's call that a fourth bucket, which is different than unique policies to the company. Right. So we got one is, uh, philosophy, second, Mm -hmm. uh, compensation and benefits. Yes. Third, uh, policies, yeah. and then for CYA. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So, uh, what? Uh, okay. What, what so do you, I'm what least do you... interested in CYA because, like, some lawyer writes that up and no one reads it, and who cares? Um, I'm probably more interested in the, the other three. Um, what's What's the right information to include? And the thing that, like I said, has really been on my mind is. When so, just to tease what I've kind of been thinking, should this information be made one hundred percent public and almost used as like a marketing tool for for recruiting? I can give you my opinion on this. Uh, yeah, I hundred percent think so. Yes, uh, I. So I'll give you sort of my 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 uh, experience with employee handbooks. The first impl- I've only worked at so. I, I'm unique in that I've at my last company I was there for twelve years. I never I didn't do anything. I've never experienced another employer, but went through lots of iterations of the company, as you well know. Mm-hmm. At first, I was a, the 13th employee of the company. Then I was one of 35 employees. Then we went down to four people. You, of course, were one of those four people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we went up to 60-something, 70 employees. Then we went back down to fifth, you know, 35. Then we were down to 20. Now, I don't even know how many people are there. So uh, all kinds. And, and every time there was a big switch someone at the board would say, we need a new employee handbook. And um, it wasn't until probably three years ago uh, that I really took ownership of what an employee handbook was. Before that, and I think this is what most people think, employee handbooks are CYA material. They have, yeah. like, My experience as an employee getting an employee handbook is, I'm not going to, like, this is unhelpful. I can't understand mm-hmm. the language. Um, this seems like something that you're trying to screw me with. Yeah. It's like you can't it's it's when you say CYA, it's so employees can't sue you and say you didn't provide some piece of information. You'll be like, look, you signed this thing that said we gave you this document. Yep. Yeah. And then so so over the years, we had different versions of this. One was there when I got there. Then, um, you know, we the board was like, we have to have an employee handbook. I was like, why? Because we got to cover our asses. You know, uh, <laughs> I said, oh, OK. So we hired some third party to come in and build an employee handbook. That provided no value because they had no idea about our business. So it was, again, yeah. all these new rules that I didn't even really care about, honestly. I, like, it created more problems. Every time we wrote an employee handbook, it created more problems than it solved. Finally, like at some point, the last time I let someone else do this was probably four or five years ago, where we had a really, really smart senior vice president who knew that employee handbooks were important. So she brought a third party in. I was uninvolved in the... In the uh, building of the handbook because I didn't care about it. I didn't think it was a priority, but I was listening to you know the person who was more experienced and smarter. And she was right. But I, I think that an employee handbook that doesn't have your imprint on it is mm-hmm. could be a really bad thing, right? Because it could send the wrong message. But the point here is that when, when, when that handbook came out, 
I saw it. I was like, holy crap, this could provide so much value because it did touch on the philosophy stuff. And it did touch on the things that employees needed to know to be successful at the company. And uh, so I, I actually wrote my own handbook after that. And, uh, and I took like, that was like my, my most important employee, the employee handbook to me is the most important tool of a CEO to communicate to their employees, uh, consistently and clearly. Okay. So at the beginning of this, you said you, you think it's a CYA tool, but you used the term employee handbook and just kind of redefined what that, that means to yourself and, and then thought of it as like a really high priority for you. Absolutely. It went from, this is something that provides no value. This is a, a company value tool with low value mm-hmm. to employees to a very high employee value, high company value tool. So what are the, the key things like once you decided to take ownership of it and decided this is going to be really valuable for employees, what do you think, what, what did you put in there and did you get any feedback on it or anything like that? Um, yeah. So I, I don't know how helpful my iterations are going to be um, because I would say I learned more what not to do than what to do. Um, and I think that, I, those are the most valuable well, lessons. Well, I, I think, think. <laughs> I think you've done this well for a long time. Like I, I actually, like when I started thinking about this, I don't know if you remember this, but I said, Hey, Tyler, can you send me your employee handbook? And you ever <laughs> mm-hmm. sending that to me? And I was yeah, like, this yeah. is actually really useful. So you actually like, honestly, I learned f- there are a couple of companies that I, once I realized what this employee handbook thing was, and it's a good thing, not a bad thing for employees. Um, I looked at yours. I looked at base camps. They do it publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And- so for anyone not familiar with this, theirs is on GitHub and you can just read the whole thing. There. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I looked at theirs. I thought theirs was good, but it wasn't, it was a little bit different than our culture at the time uh, or what I wanted to build. And then I looked at yours and I thought yours was really useful. It was in a Google doc or box doc document. I don't remember which one it was. Yeah. It's a Google doc. Yeah. yeah. But it was like, I don't know, 25 <laughs> pages ish. Mm-hmm. And it, it went through you know, all the key questions an employee might have if they worked at Less Annoying CRM. So I'm actually a little surprised that you feel the need to invest a lot of energy and time into this because you, you are, in my opinion, one of the better people at employee <laughs> well, handbooks. Well, thank you. Um, so one of the reasons we, first of all, anytime you make any kind of like internal culture document or anything like that, I think it's important to update it, not radically change it necessarily, but over the years, things change. So for example, we recently made the decision to start thinking of ourselves as a small business instead of a startup. And the, a lot of the language in the old one was very startup-y. And so I changed a lot of that. It, overall, it's the same thing. The, the other thing I wanted to address was it was getting too long. Like the first version of it was 10 pages maybe. And then every year, a few new things come up. We have a few new policies, a few new philosophies, and it just became giant. And mm. so we split it into pieces. I didn't like radically change the content, but it's just organized differently now. How many pages is it now? Um, okay, I've got them pulled up here. So one, the the office policies one is 19 pages just by itself. Uh, the salary and benefits is 15. And I haven't redone the philosophy one yet, but it's currently at seven. And that's probably the most important one. Yeah. And so in addition to, we have the document, we also, every new hire, we sp- spend maybe four or five one-hour sessions explaining all of the philosophy to them. So even if we didn't have the document, like we have a different way to communicate that information also. Okay. So I guess uh, my question is, it sounds like you're, you've been updating this regularly. So mm-hmm. what is it that's causing this to be, why are you feeling the need? What business, what problem are you trying to solve by, by, re- by rewriting this? 
Yeah, well, so I'm not I'm not trying to rewrite it. Um, I'm pretty happy with the content in there. I was just interested in your thoughts on that. But maybe so maybe the more important question for me is I feel like this is really valuable content. And when we share it with employees after they start, in many cases, they're like, oh, wow, like the way your philosophy on on benefits really makes sense and resonates with me or the way you do compensation is awesome. And it occurs to me when we give job offers, um, they don't have any of this information. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, can I repurpose this content and make it really valuable in the recruiting process and not just like a tool for people who already work here? I guess I don't understand why you don't already just share this to your... It's easy enough to do it, but I mean, there's a nuance to that, right? Like, what's the best way to get... Well, because, I mean, what do you mean by share it? Email it to them? Yeah, why don't don't you just like... When? Yeah, why don't you just like, whenever you start... Whenever you're in recruit, at some point during the so when you're going through an interview process, right, and you're you're recruit, mm-hmm. you're on the recruiting side. At some point, you stop evaluating and you start recruiting, right? Yeah, that's what I want to talk yeah. about here is like strategies around I'm, I'm asking, what's the right time asking, to do that. But why aren't you just do, doing that? I don't. I don't well, we're going to. Okay, but why not just? There, why, why haven't you already done it? I guess is the question. What's holding you back? Nothing. Okay, do it. Yeah, but what I wanted to talk about is what is it like just when send them the ebook, send them the employee handbook. When, uh, whenever, whenever you get into recruit mode. Okay, Do you, is, that's that, is, vague. That, is that is that a clear line for you? No. Well, so like I view recruiting as a marketing and sales pipeline. Like if you think of how you sell a product, you've got top funnel all the way through bottom funnel. It generally starts out very marketing heavy and it goes towards very sales heavy. And like, I want this funnel to be as sophisticated as our actual customer acquisition. I totally understand what you're saying now. You're, I I see you're not just, okay. I, so you want to talk about how to, this is more of a conversation around how, when, when do you start sharing information about how you operate as a company with employees how transparent mm-hmm. are you with the world? Number one, as at the top of the funnel, um, mm-hmm. and then you know how do you how do you you have the you have the core messaging? It sounds like that's not the problem. It's how do you package that? You know, pre hire. Yeah, because if you set, I mean, it's hard enough to get people interested in the job in the first place. If you send them sixty pages of documents, they're not going to read them. But like, if you pull out the right pieces at the right time, potentially that can help move things along. I, this seems like the same thing as content marketing to me. You've got your core, yeah. you know, product messaging internally, you've got your core product policies. And then how do you, you know, how do you translate that into articles and blog posts and eBooks and publicly accessible content, like a uh, help section of your website that uh, mm-hmm. people interact with? So I'm terrible at content marketing. Okay. So I agree with you. That's what it is, but maybe I need a little help with thinking that through. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, um, so it's really recruiter and who's the, who does most of the interviewing and recruiting at your company? Yeah. So our, our, we should probably do a whole different deep dive on this at some point, but what we do is, um, so one of our CRM coaches, which is kind of like the customer facing employees here, um, they all get 20% time. So Emily spends her 20% time recruiting. Mm-hmm. That's most of the, like, she goes to, uh, sets up career fairs and posts job listings online and stuff. Um, once applications come in, she does the first round of vetting, like reading their writing sample, make sure, you know, they're literate and stuff. And then everyone on the team is kind of involved from there on. We normally do a phone screen, which will be me for programmers or Michael for customer service people because he's the head of that team. And then they do in-person where potentially six or seven people will interact with them throughout the interview. Okay. So uh, it sounds like 
it sounds like a lot of people are involved and the more I'm going to go back. I keep, I keep asking you, why are you worried about this? And I now understand Mm -hmm. what, what solution you're envisioning. What I still don't understand is like, is this a, why is this important to you right now as the CEO? It's because we keep hiring people. And every time we do, um, their perception of the job is much, much better a month in than it is when we're recruiting. And I want to fix that. Why? Is it because you need to hire more people than do you need to speed up your hiring process? Why is this more important than getting more users? Uh, we're going to be recruiting either way. We have positions to fill. So I figure we might as well do it well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think this is coming at the expense of getting more users. Okay. So this is obviously important enough for you to worry about. Is it, is it because you want to hire more people faster? No. Uh, no. Okay. I, I would say uh, speed is speed would help, but it's really about increasing the top of funnel. Like I'm, we're very happy with the people we've hired, but you know, there's nothing more important to the success of a business than hiring the best people possible. So I just, I almost don't want to need to justify like wanting, like we're always going to be pushing to get better and better and better at hiring. There's never going to be a point where we're like, well, there we go. You know, the people are good enough. So let's stop trying to improve here. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you view the recruiting funnel right now to your business as a really important part of your stability mm-hmm. and, and near-term growth. So yeah. So and let, sorry, let me add one other thing yeah. on here. I'll say that you know that for for me and for the company, like increasing diversity and inclusion has been a big priority recently. Um, most of the people who we don't need to sell are people like us, right? They're like, and I say like us, I mean like me. People who come from privilege are already kind of startupy. Get get how tech the tech industry works. We want to make people who otherwise wouldn't be applying for this job feel more comfortable with. Oh, this is like actually a thing that's accessible to me. Um, so probably if, if there is a problem, so to speak, it's uh, trying to get a broader group of people applying. No, that's cool. All right. I get the why. Well, let's, um, the topic is employee handbook. So I think we should, I understand where you're coming from in this, which helps me, uh, I think, get maximize this conversation for us. So let's, let's start with, uh, I think, first of all, let's talk a little bit about what you have in your employee handbook specifically, or yeah. unfo- like, and then we can talk about how it can be purposed. I, so I agree with the sections. So I don't think we mm-hmm. need to talk about that. There's philosophy, there's compensation and benefits, there's policies, and then there's CYA, cover your ass, uh, <laughs> you know, government requirements. Um, right. And those vary by state. So we're not going to get in. Let's, let's, let's not even try to talk about those and just say like- yeah, and there's no way CYA is what you want to send to a recruit. No. Right? Like that's obvious. Yeah. That's obvious. Yeah, CYA is you have to do it and it's not fun and it's actually- hard, really hard to communicate those things to employees. Sometimes yeah. the, the rules that are designed to protect employees actually create more confusion and fear than protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we're not going to cover that today. That's a state you know, feder- and federal law issue. Go talk to someone who knows what they're doing about that stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. The rules are different in St. Louis than they are in uh, Salt Lake City. Um, so I, I think for me, the most important part of an employee handbook is the first part, what you just said with the philosophy. It's an introduction to Hey, this is what, this is the clarity. Of, this is what you need to know to be successful at this company. Here's mm-hmm. where we've been. Here's where we are. Here's where we're going. Can you talk a little bit about what, how, how would you break down the philosophy section? Yeah. So that's it. So first of all, you said, where have you been? Where have we been? You know, what's our path towards getting here? That's funny. Not funny. That's, uh, I'm embarrassed at this point. That's one of the big things we talk about during these, like when we rant at new hires about everything. It's not actually in the, the the documentation right now, so maybe that would be a good thing for me to add. 
what we have right now, I'll just run through the, there's not that many categories here. We have like, what is our mission, which is to help small businesses succeed? Why small businesses? And we talk through all that. One of our number one kind of pillars in terms of what differentiates us from any other company is bootstrapping. So we have a section on why do we think uh, venture capital is antithetical to our, our values and why, like, what do we do instead? And then we have a section on company culture, which the, the subcategories are the customer comes first, um, talking about how to be ambitious without moving at the speed of a venture-backed company. Because that's some, a lot of people think if you don't raise money, you aren't ambitious. So we, you know, it's, it's something we have to balance. Um, we have a section called craftsmanship, which is about how um, basically we don't want a culture where everyone views their own personal development as becoming a manager. And I think there are a lot of really problematic things that come from like ladder climbing. So we try to emphasize how it could work instead. And then um, there's one called open communication. I don't even think, I mean, yeah, that's like one paragraph. So forget that part. <laughs> well, I, I think what you're talking about here is values and like what's important, like what, what behavior is the right behavior and what mindset yeah. is the right mindset to be successful here? Well, you specifically, yeah. So you said what to be successful here, that almost all comes down to craftsmanship. Cool. So maybe that one section needs more of an emphasis than it has right now. Cause you're right. Like, or maybe not in the employee handbook, but for someone who's applying, I can see that that's a much more important piece of information than like, you know, probably they won't appreciate why bootstrapping is important at that stage. Yeah. Um, totally. So, uh, okay. So then the second section is about salary and benefits. What, what, mm -hmm. what do you have in there? You said that was 19 yeah, so pages, 20 pages, 15. 15. Okay. So what's, what's in there? Yeah. So, okay. It's, it's broken into two sections, salary and benefits. Benefits is pretty like just straight to the point. Like we have a, a brief section on our philosophy on like what should be a benefit and what shouldn't. And I, because of where you and I both used to work, where we sold health benefits administration software, I have strong opinions about this. <laughs> uh, but most of it's just like, here's, here's how health insurance works. Here's how vacation works. We have a lot of like weird approaches to benefits, so it needs explanation. The salary one's a little more high level where it goes into like, at the end of it, it says, here's what everyone's paid. You know, developers make this, customer service people make this and so on. But there's a, the vast majority of the content is, here's how we think about how raises should work. Here's how we think about balancing, like paying someone for their performance versus everyone being able to thrive. It, it's much more philosophical. Mm -hmm. Um, that's probably the main part that I'd say resonates with people after we've hired them is they hear all that. One of the big points is we're like, there's, you know, your your compensation is completely separate from, for example, getting promoted to to different responsibilities or anything like that. So it takes a lot of pressure off them that stresses otherwise would be stressing them out. Yep. And then on the policy um, side, what kind of policies like, is it yeah. just pretty much everything that you get? If you get, if Tyler or someone internally gets asked the same question more than like 10 times, you write it down. Yeah, and in particular things, I'm I'm generally like of the opinion don't don't document stuff, and that's actually something I want to talk about later. Is when should you have a policy something and for something and when shouldn't you? Most of them are things that could potentially like lead to one employee being mad at another or being confused because they don't know what to do. So there's a lot of stuff on um, around the office, like you know, can you make noise and when and where and how do you use conference rooms? And there's a lot of stuff on how to take days off, vacation, sick days, work from home. Um, and just etiquette around like 
cleaning up the refrigerators and the equipment we provide and drinking alcohol at work and stuff like that. Yeah, and and and, and probably something in there about LaCroix fridge and how you can't drink too many LaCroix. <laughs> Uh, we encourage employees to drink as much LaCroix as they want. <laughs> we're, we're forming a dependency. <laughs> How many different flavors do you have? Uh, we have 11 flavors of LaCroix right now. This is one way in which we have not stopped being a startup. <laughs> um, that should be in your company philosophy, I feel like. Yeah. Right now, right now we say on our recruiting page, you have to like Emo's Pizza, which is a St. Louis style of pizza that everyone who's not from St. Louis hates. And uh We've hired so many people not from St. Louis. I think we have to remove that from our <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I guess, okay, so you've got this great asset internally that maybe you need to add, maybe you need to refresh based on your small business focus. Sounds like it's pretty good though. It seems like your tra- challenge is how do you leverage this more higher up in the recruiting funnel so that um, one, you can expand your pool of applicants uh, and two, you can have onboarding go more smooth, more smoothly. Uh, yeah. Uh, or I don't know if it's smooth, more smoothly or smoother um, for, uh, let's say smoother. You want your onboarding smoother. process to go smoother for these new hires that you do make. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to rename the title of this podcast from uh, employee handbook to how to use an employee handbook to help with recruiting. But yes, yes. that seems to be the topic here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we, I think we've like we've talked around a lot of issues here, and you know I, I've learned certain things and gotten different ideas. But I'm interested, just like top of your head, your thoughts. I've got 60 pages of documents. Um, the flow for hiring somebody is job listing online, interview, lots of emails back and forth to schedule a phone interview, an in person interview, and then eventually an offer. How would you introduce the topics I just described? It, in that process. Okay. Well, there's two, th- I treat this entirely like an inbound marketing funnel. So, mm-hmm. um, I, first thing I would do is look at your employee journeys. So I would, I would map like from the employee or from the recruitees perspective, you know, how do they first hear about less annoying? Where are they hanging out that they should be hearing about less annoying, but they're not like go through mm-hmm. the, like the full journey of an empo- the ideal employee for less annoying CRM. Do you call them employees or team members? Uh, I'm not sure we have an official term, but employee is fine. I had, we had a client at the early days of Zane Benefits. Um, you remember Menards? Uh, oh yeah. yeah, well Menards exists in St. Louis. Yeah, I, so they they I drive by. They it. have a very important rule. They do not refer to their employees as employees, team members, and it's like that's a very important thing. Um, so uh, I'm not sure that matters to you, but uh, anyway, that that's why I'm sensitive because I I made okay. a mistake one time in a presentation of putting employees there, and I got <laughs> called out big time. I am very uh, sensitive to what do you want to call these these people. Um, I always roll my eyes at that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So like what matters is how you treat them, not, not what you yeah, call them, but okay. Yeah. So, so um, I would look at it from the perspective of the employee and try to figure out, okay, where are the points where less annoying CRM should be having an interaction with, you know, where does, where do we want, where does less annoying CRM want to be found? Um, and the mm-hmm. earlier on in that journey, the more applicable content is. Right. Because um, because mm. the way we buy today, you know, as, a, as consumers is not too different than how we shop for jobs. Um, we, we we go online, we do Google, we go talk to friends. We might talk to some important advisors. Um, we might look, you know, we might go to Google, we might go to LinkedIn and start looking around. We might talk to some recruiters. And now, you know, oh, now I'm looking at a, a specific type of companies. Maybe I'm looking, you know, in uh, using a, a more sophisticated tool to find companies. Maybe I'm looking at at venture funded companies. If I want to go work at a venture company and that's on AngelList or I'm going to, um, 
uh, you know, a local investor's portfolio page to see what jobs their portfolio has. All these things mm-hmm. that I, you know, I'm, I'm, try, I'm going to think about in terms of does that does that action does the employee taking that type of action represent a, an ideal employee for less annoying CRM? And then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, earlier on, there's content getting found opportunities, right? Yeah, and I'm probably less interested in that only because I don't think we're realistically going to get a lot of applicants through like SEO or something, but like they meet us at a career fair or like we've already got our foot in the door somehow. Okay, yeah. so there's that. And then there's, okay, now they're getting into the, so um, are you familiar with like, uh, I forget what the three most common terms are, but basically there is, hey, I'm, I'm not aware that I have a problem. That's phase one. Uh, phase mm-hmm. two is tofu, to, mofu, tofu, bofu. mofu, bofu. And so I think what you're yeah. talking about is more le- middle of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel, which is I have a relationship with these people. They know who less annoying CRM is. How do I help them uh, better evaluate less annoying CRM and realize how different we are? How do I differentiate less annoying CRM for these people? Right. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that it? Yeah, I think. And especially we, we do a lot of recruiting in college where they're you know, so clueless about how the world works, like really smart, talented people, but they probably don't even know what questions they should be asking. So I think there's a great opportunity to like get ahead of it and say, why don't you ask every other company you're applying for, you know, these questions. So this is a classic playbook for in in content marketing, you know, middle of the funnel where it's like you turn, you start turning your middle of the funnel content is going to be how to, how to interview, you know, how how to look, how to find a job that best fits your, your profile, what questions to ask. And so it's, it's more teaching them how to interview. And then the BOFU content is, and, and by the way, top of the tofu, mofu, BOFU, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. In the bottom of the funnel, typically you're at the stage where you you know you're, you're you know what employers you've narrowed it down to two or three employers and you're trying to choose. In the middle of the funnel, mm-hmm. you've narrowed it down to a, types of companies and you're you're actively creating a list of employers you want to actually apply to. And so, mm-hmm. what what we're saying here is that um, basically this is a content marketing strategy. I would start with a the way I like to do content marketing is I like to have an evergreen strategy. Are you familiar with like? Uh, with evergreen co- concept mm-hmm. or spoke. Yeah. The idea that you write something that year after year after year continues to be relevant. To you people. got it. And there's another, other terms like, you know, spoke, uh, and wheel content where, um, mm-hmm. hub and spoke where the hub is your 60 page ebook, uh, about maybe it's an employee, your 60 page employee handbook. And then you have spokes that you re- you take out of that content and repurpose it to different stages of that buyer ju- of that recruiting journey that we talked about. So that's that I would employ basically an evergreen content strategy to this where I would take your I would leverage your employee handbook, maybe create I, I, w- I don't like creating new content. I like I don't like having multiple sources of content to manage. Um, I agree with that, although I think it's important to have a way to offer this in bite sized chunks to people because it's such a long document otherwise yeah, those are the spokes so if you yeah. if you look at maybe I, maybe there are certain people you're going to want to give the whole employee handbook to is there anyone out there that said i'm interested in less annoying crm i'd like to see your handbook that you wouldn't say yeah sure here it is no what so we've never officially decided to make it public but i've shared it with everyone who's ever asked so i i think i'm comfortable making it globally public. cool so yeah. if, if that's the case then you know that's available somewhere and you start you know re- pulling out pieces of it to answer, to address the specific needs of someone in the, in the buyer. So what are the big, here's Mm -hmm. the question. What are the big things that you would want to, um, 
distinguish, you know, you leverage the, what, what pieces of the employee handbook would you pull out and where in the buyer journey? Yeah. So, well, you, uh, you, you talking about tofu, mofu, bofu, what seems clear to me, having had this conversation, bofu is the the place to focus for us because no one that we view as super promising drops out at, at the top levels of interaction with us because from their point of view, like why not go through it? And then they make a decision at the end. So it's really when we go and you, you asked earlier, do I know when we go into sales mode? Obviously we do when we give the offer, but probably it's when the in-person interview happens where it's like, we, we don't interview that many people in person. There's a very high likelihood they're going to get an offer if they do. I shouldn't say that because, you know, someone might misinterpret that and get their hopes up. But, you know, I think Bofu is where we should be focusing. And specifically, we send a lot of emails back and forth with them anyway. So there's a great opportunity to push content to them there. Um, so what about, let me let me throw an idea at you. What if before the interview, we just say, here's a bunch of info. Uh, like, you're going to have opportunities to ask questions to people. If you don't know what types of questions to ask, here's a bunch of info. I, you know, you might want to read it. And then that'll give you some ideas of... Uh, topics you want to discuss with people when you come in. Yeah, that's great. Like maybe, maybe you pick one thing to do is to maybe test three different, I know you're saying Bofu is more important, but maybe you test three pieces of content, one for Tofu, which is like how mm -hmm. to interview, you know, by less annoying CRM. Second is, you know, how to, or how to, how to find the right career. Second is how to interview. And the third is what, how to, how to choose the right employer for you. Yeah. And, you know, we actually have, um, we've thought about, we haven't thought about it as tofu before, but as part of the kind of equity, diversity, inclusion side of things, one thing we wanted to do is put a whole thing together that's like one of the ways in which uh, companies fail to be diverse is they set up an interview process that some people know what to expect and other people don't. So we wanted to put together like there will be absolutely no secrets here. There will be no surprises. We're going to tell you what we're looking for, everything. So that's kind of. It, mofu to tofu it's not how to interview everywhere but it's how to interview with us at least mm -hmm. okay so it could like be here's how you interview with us trickling down into one of the things you should do is ask us questions and talk about values here are our values so that you can prepare for that um, and then without it won't even seem like we've been selling them because we're providing them with information on how to give a good interview. Yeah, it's almost like you take your employee handbook and create a a new thing called the recruitee guide. You know, the the mm -hmm. the guide to mm -hmm. getting a job with less annoying CRM and uh, pull the pieces that are relevant to that and maybe break it down into some bite sized pieces. Mm, I love that the guide to getting a job with less annoying CRM. Yeah, because especially with younger people, but I think this is true with everyone. We just find people get stressed out over every single step of this process. And one of the big things that, one of the big reasons people tend to like us, we haven't given them any of this information yet, but they they do get like, this is a less stressful experience. So the more we can really emphasize that and say, we're, we're giving you all the prep material you want, I think that'll really leave a good taste in their mouth. Cool. Okay. I'm into that. Have you ever done anything like this before? Um. I never had time to, but it makes so much sense to me that this would be a huge differentiator. It, I, I was always, I, I never got to the point at people keep uh, where recruiting was my number one focus. I was always, mm -hmm. um, there, I was always worrying about something regulatory or product wise <laughs> or, you know, lead generation. I was never at that, got to that, like, Hey, this is like, we got to go scale. And I wish yeah. I had spent more time recruit, like on recruiting 
through all that because we would have been able to solve a lot of those problems faster. But um, mm-hmm. I, this seems like a, if, if people are important, why wouldn't you do spend time doing this? <laughs> I mean, it seems like a no brainer for companies. <coughs> you okay? Yeah. <laughs> Too much LaCroix, <coughs> that LaCroix go down the wrong way. Yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So, okay. Takeaways from this episode. Uh, one, I'll, 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 I'll speak while you cough. Uh, one is an employee handbook is a great thing, especially when you make it focus on value to the employee and making them successful. We identified four components. One is a company philosophy, how we, how we do things here, how to succeed. The second is uh, compensation and benefits, being clear about what your policies are around the most important thing people work for, which is moolah. Number three is policies. How can we have, uh, you know, how do we make sure that we reduce conflict in some important areas to make sure people don't get mad at each other, using your words? Mm-hmm. And then four is, um, you know, there are every from state to state and federally, there are certain laws and regulations in place that you as a company must meet um, an employee handbook uh, oftentimes solves those problems. Um, so that's what we define what employee handbook was. The second thing is, you know, that's great after you hire, but one of the bigger problems is how can you leverage that asset to uh, recruit and then convert uh, people pre uh, job offer uh, and pre pre hire date. And, uh, and so we outlined some, some opportunities there. Would you add anything? Yeah, there was one thing you said at the beginning that, maybe a minor point, but it really stood out to me, which is um, you think that the CEO or whoever's setting the culture really needs to have their fingerprint on this. And I think what you said at the beginning that you used to think that this is a worthless document and now you don't, that's the whole differentiator, right? Is, Is this some boilerplate thing you got off LegalZoom or is this like you communicating your vision to the whole company? Um, maybe that goes without saying after all the other points, but I, I thought that was worth saying again. Yeah. Listen, if you're going to build an employee handbook as a CYA tool, one, don't expect people to read it. And two, don't expect it to add value to your company other than cover your mm-hmm. butt. The, uh, you know, and then if you want to build an employee handbook that actually provides value, it needs to be something that creates massive clarity for every single person in the organization if they were to read it. And I don't know how that mm-hmm. document gets created without this CEO and senior leaders being heavily involved in that prop in that, in that, in building and maintaining that. Yeah, totally. totally. All right. Cool. Well, uh, I'll wrap it up then. So if you, uh, you know, we, we appreciate you listening, uh, all you listeners out there, as Tyler likes to say, um, you can actually, so we launched the website. You can actually join the conversation and on this particular topic, we've got we're going to be posting notes and transcripts, and hopefully continuing the conversation around employee handbooks via some comments on our website at startuptolast.com. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, you know, go easy on us. We 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 don't pretend to know what we're talking about. We actually don't think we know what we're talking about, but we do like talking to each other, and hopefully, we can learn together. Tyler, it's good talking to you, man. Yeah, you All too. Right, see you. See you next week. <laughs>